0: Welcome to Locked On Nets. I am your host, Josh Bass, and on today's show, we will discuss the Nets' disappointing loss to the Milwaukee Bucks, some promising injury returns uh, with Alan Crabb and Karis LeVert on the horizon, and discuss what we expect from the Nets at Thursday's trade deadline. All that and more coming up.
1: You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast,
0: part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Nets here, uh, as I mentioned, Josh Bass, and joining me, as always, my partner in crime, Marcus Barahal. Marcus, what's going on?
1: Josh, good to be here. Love being your PIC. Uh, shout out to the movie Role Models, where I think they coined that acronym, not the phrase, but they shortened it, mm-hmm. uh, and and we use it to this day here on this
0: podcast. Yeah, you've been my, my PIC for a long time. This is kind of the, it's it's been taking podcast form for the last month and a half, but uh, continuing a friendship that's uh, been culminated, that's been cultivated. Sorry, over uh, a few years. It's culminating too. I, I, it might end soon. Yeah. yeah. I, we'll if see. the Nets continue to lose, then then maybe we might have to have a podcast breakup and bring Gavin back to restart that mojo. Please no. Please <laughs> no. Um, so Marcus, the Nets lost their third game in a row to the outstanding Milwaukee Bucks team. One thirteen ninety four. Uh, it was kind of close for most of the first half. You never felt great that the Nets were going to get back into it. And then Milwaukee really took a commanding advantage in the third quarter. Um, so they headed into the fourth with a 23 point lead. And the Nets were really never able to make it close. Just kind of, uh, they were going kind to of have talented in this one and shot five of 42 on threes. You're not really going to win when you shoot 12% on three pointers.
1: Yeah, that's that's a tough look. They started off 0-12 of from 3 in the first, like, 18 minutes before I think it was Russell finally hit the first one. But, uh, yeah, like you said, it was pretty close in the first half, just because it seemed like both teams were kind of a little slow to start and kind of not playing well. And then in the second half, the Nets kept not playing well, but the Bucks decided that they were good and they played well uh, in the second half, so that was kind of the difference there. But um, there were still some positives, I thought, to take away from the game. Um I thought this was going to be a tough one to win regardless. Uh, the Nets had won, I think, nine straight at home before this. So they had been playing really well at home. So there was some optimism in that respect. But at the end of the day, like when you're going up against Giannis and Chris Middleton, a first-time All-Star this year, and Bledsoe's played really well this year, the Bucks kind of just have too much for the Nets.
0: Yeah, our, our boy Mitchell Creek had some nice moments uh, in garbage time. Uh, And also, you know, there are a couple things that I think we can take away from this. I thought Jared Allen had a really nice game, Uh, even though the stats weren't that much different from um, games before this, especially against the Magic. I thought he was more impactful, especially on the defensive end. Finished with 11 rebounds, four blocks, was really kind of getting over, contesting a lot of shots. Thought he did a nice job stymieing Giannis on a couple plays, even though obviously Giannis is a supreme talent and got the better of Allen on a lot of occasions. I like what I saw from him, and also really like that Kenny went to that adjustment at the start of the game, having Giannis um, be guarded by Jared Allen, and moving Travion Graham to guard Brook Lopez, um, so nice adjustment there, saying, hey, we're not just going to have our center guard their center, really trying to match it more towards playing styles.
1: Yeah, and I think that the length of Allen definitely helped on Giannis, and it was super interesting, because I thought it really kind of worked in that first quarter. The Bucks only scored 23 points, and so... Despite how like awful the Nets were on offense, they were still right in the game throughout the first quarter, and then at halftime it was still a single-digit deficit, so they were right in it. Uh, but then in the third quarter, like we talked about before, the Bucks just kind of took over, and Giannis especially was very good. I wrote down the note: uh, Giannis is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you also wrote down that note. We were talking before, but uh, he had like one turnaround fadeaway like over Jared Allen from about like ten to twelve feet, and it was just absurd because Jared Allen's like one of the longest. Guys, I think I've ever watched in in the NBA, and just to see Giannis pretty much like effortlessly throw it over his hand was impressive.
0: Yeah, it's the kind of hard hitting analysis you'll get here at Locked On Nets. People saying Giannis is good. It's a hot uh, take. man. Yeah, it? it is a hot take. Some people would say Giannis is great. So just to say he's good, that is. I think a he's take. just good. He's, he's yeah, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Nets were really missing Joe Harris. I mean, Shabazz Napier got the start in this one. But when they went to that bench unit, it was tough for, to score. I mean, Rondé Hollis Jefferson was clogging up the lane. Theo Pinson is just not consistent enough um, to really make an impact. Uh, and the Nets are going to struggle at, at this point without um, having scores on the table. And obviously, the news of Alan Crabb coming back will help things some. And if Karis Levert can return in the next game or two, which it looks like he's on pace to do, and we'll talk about that more in the next segment, then the rotation could begin to sort itself out. But, you know, at this point, the Nets got killed, but it's not really, you can't get mad at it because they just don't have the talent with this current roster to make a game against a really good Milwaukee team that's well-coached, unless D'Angelo Russell has an insane game like he has had in the past against the Kings. Um, you know, when he goes 7-20 from the field, you just have no chance of, of making this one competitive.
1: Yeah, and like you mentioned earlier, just the three-point shooting was abysmal. Napier, who you mentioned started, was 0 for 10 from three. Kourouks was one of six. Graham was one of five. Uh, Pinson was one of five. Even Russell was only two of six, which is fine. But uh, yeah, the the Nets right now need him to play exceptionally if they want to win games, especially against a team like Milwaukee. And of course, they've got Denver coming up and then Toronto uh, in a couple games after that. So a little bit of a tough stretch here. And then it gets tougher, I think, down the stretch. But Uh, hopefully with everyone back that can kind of mitigate things and then once standings are like more sorted out maybe some of those good teams will be resting guys so we'll see
0: yeah and i'm curious what you think on the nets and milwaukee matchup because milwaukee's had their number for a while and this is definitely a possible first round playoff series i mean milwaukee's in the number one seed right now but definitely not out of the question that toronto who's only two games back could surpass them and the Nets, I think, we're, they're pretty likely to make the playoffs, and I think anywhere between the six and eight seed is is likely for them. So we could see this matchup in the playoffs, and you know, I wouldn't feel very confident if I'm an, if I'm a Nets fan, which I am, because Milwaukee just has talent in every position. Brooke Lopez is a tough matchup for Jarrett Allen because it either takes him away from the rim or has him guard Giannis, and obviously Giannis is just going to blow by him on a, a lot of occasions. So I would love to see the Nets not match up with the Bucks, but I think at this point is probably the most likely outcome uh out of any team they would face in the first round
1: yeah i don't know i feel like i think the bucks are pretty much locked into one of the top two uh seeds so if the nets are able to stay at six they could kind of avoid them but uh yeah i think that the length of milwaukee is really troubling like we saw it in the orlando game and then in the boston game recently where the length kind of stifles them kuruks got blocked again on some drives which was frustrating to see Mm -hmm. and just like this is maybe absurd, but the Bucks are almost like a hypercharged version of the magic where they've got like a big man who can stretch the floor, and they've got Giannis who's like a much better version of Aaron Gordon, I guess. And so that length on defense especially is a big factor. The Nets aren't a particularly big team. They have kind of like a small four most of the time and it's really just Jared Allen who can kinda of contend with those guys and we saw that we saw them try to use him against Giannis on defense and it kinda of worked, but in a seven-game series, or it would honestly probably be less. Um, I don't see that really holding up.
0: Yeah, and I think another point is that their length really bothers the Nets uh, when the Nets are on offense. I mean, it's hard to get the it's, it's hard for them to get open looks um, when they are taking three-point shots. They're getting closed on a bit more quickly than they normally are. Uh, Bledsoe is you know he's only six one, but his wingspan is probably like six six or six seven. He can really get into D-low and bother him. So. Uh, It's a tough matchup, but hopefully, you know, ideally the best case scenario is that the Nets match up with Indiana in the first round. That might be a pipe dream, but they played Philly well. They played Boston okay at times. Really, Toronto and Milwaukee are the two teams they've had trouble with. But you know what? The playoffs uh, are—just getting there for this Nets team is a great thing. So we'll take a break, and then coming up, we'll talk about two guys who are very close to a return who are going to help the Nets on that run to the playoffs Uh, And we will get back to that in a second. Segment two here on Locked on Nets. Uh, Marcus, the Nets got some very uh, good injury news. Um, Alan Crabb and Karis LeVert, two guys who have been out for a while. Crabb was someone that we thought and we were told was going to be day-to-day, but he was out for a long time. And LeVert was someone that on an initial glance at the injury thought he would be out for the season, kind of a Gordon Hayward, Paul George type thing. And he's ended up making a miraculous recovery where I think it's going to be about a little less than, or a little over two months before um, he finally makes his return. Um, Alan Crabb and both Allen Crabb and Karis LeVert practice with the Long Island Nets. Allen Crabb has been assigned to the big team and uh, looks like he'll be available to play against Denver. LeVert, they believe, will make his return before the All-Star break, uh, which will come up next week. So he should be back in short order. Marcus, first of all, great news for the Nets, and and what do you think it means for the team?
1: Yeah, I think that the Crab news couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, we kind of like maligned Crab a little bit, like right before and right after his injury, but the biggest weakness on the Nets right now has been their shooting. Like we talked about, they were 5 of 42, and if there's one thing Alan Crab can do, it's shoot the three-point shot well in the NBA. Last three years, he was 38% last year, 44 the year before, 39 the year before that, on pretty decent volume, and so Getting him in and getting Joe Harris back, who missed the Bucks game, uh, I think that'll be a much-needed infusion on offense. And then I'm really excited for Karis LeVert to come back, just because, uh, for me particularly, like I wasn't really following the Nets that closely during his run. Like I was aware of it, but I wasn't watching every game like I am now. And so I'm mm-hmm. super excited to see him come back. And, yeah, I thought it was interesting, the two like completely different timelines. Like, LeVert, it seemed like he was done for maybe, like, even a full calendar year. And then right. Crab. it seemed like he'd be back for, like, the next game, and they both end up coming back right around the same time, which is interesting. But, I mean, the Nets have generally been cautious with injuries, so maybe we won't expect LaVert until after the All-Star break. I'm not sure. But uh, I'm excited to see Crab back, missing him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think with, first of all, with LaVert, I think if the Nets are saying – that they're that he's going to come back before the all-star break it's almost like a 100 percent done deal because they never give timelines or expectations so i was shocked to even hear that because i thought i told josh lloyd our, our boy on uh locked on nba follow red rock b-ball um that i would be shocked if he came back before the all-star break and i feel like sean marks heard that and say let me just make this guy josh bass sound like a complete idiot and Karis, you're ready. Go back out there. That's what he's always trying to do. Yeah, um, and I, I think the Crab thing. You know, Crab has his flaws. He's definitely overpaid, but he's better than uh, some of the nets that are on the court right now. You know, I think Theo Pinson has potential, but it's no doubt that Crab's probably better than him. He's definitely a much more consistent shooter. He was red hot from three. Uh, before he went down. He's shooting 39% from three on the season, and I think he's going to be pretty rusty to, to start. I mean, we saw how rusty he was to start this season when he could not hit anything, um, but I think he'll be a nice part of the Nets rotation when, once he gets his legs under him, provides another shooter for them, allows uh, guys like Damari Carroll to play more at the four. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson will have more space to work with, um, and, and I think it's a nice opportunity for Crabb to get his legs under him with not a lot of pressure because his Nets team has succeeded without him. And, and on the Levert front, very excited for him. We'll take a ton of pressure off of D'Angelo Russell as another playmaker. And I don't think we're gonna see him play a lot of minutes at the start. I think maybe 15 to 20 will be kind of what he's playing the first three or four games. And then he'll hopefully um, be prepared to take on a larger role and then replace the production that Spencer did he was giving them. And it's moving Shabazz and Napier to an off-ball role, um, probably reducing time for maybe a, a guy like RHJ. Uh, and it allows the Nets to be a bit more versatile in their lineups.
1: Yeah, do you think that uh, once Crab is back, uh, do you think, like, back fully, do you think Pinson is the guy who falls out of the rotation, like, completely? Because the Nets, I mean, they played, I mean, part, part of it was because of the blowout, but they played 12, 12 guys in this game, and that was without Joe Harris or Alan Crabbe. So obviously guys like uh, Alan Williams and John and Musa Mitchell Creek, they're probably not going to play.
0: But do you think Pinson is also probably, we've like kind of seen the last of him? Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, first of all, I don't want anyone taking away my boy Mitch Creek's minutes. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think that Pinson... <laughs> He's been great. I think Pinson's going to be the first guy that's removed from the... First guy who's been playing consistently that's going to be removed from the rotation because Shabazz, Napier, and D'Lo can split those 48 minutes of point guard play. And you have Crab coming back who... Uh, If he's giving you 18 to 20 minutes, it's predominantly going to be at the two-guard position, Um, so less time for Napier and and Load needing to cover at the two, and I think those three, along with Joe Harris, is probably going to be the guys you see, at least before Levert's return, who are taking up the um, overwhelming majority of the minutes at the one and two spots.
1: Yeah, and I mentioned on the last podcast that I kind of want them to stagger more russell and napier and kind of have them play to play opposite each other mm-hmm. uh so like each playing the point guard and i think crab would allow them to do that more just because he can play off ball a lot better and still
0: be a threat than some of the guys that they've been playing yeah absolutely i think that's a good point and who knows maybe with crab and LeVert coming back this is an opportunity for kenny to say hey Rody kuru you've done an incredible job Uh, in the starting lineup but you're struggling a little bit lately you're still going to be obviously a key part of the team this season and obviously moving forward but let's reduce your minutes low from 26 to 28 to maybe just 20 or so because it's clearly clear that the last few games he is getting overexposed a little bit trying to do too much so i think he's someone that could really benefit from having crab and uh, lavert especially back in the lineup
1: yeah also a lot of the guys that the nets have kind of weren't necessarily expected to fill these roles that they're filling, like Kuruks, like Travion Graham, or Napier. So I think that those guys kind of thrived by being put into the spot and thinking like, oh, my spot can get taken at any moment, like once these guys are healthy. And then they maybe got a little complacent the last week. I don't know that for sure, but I'm just speculating. And so then maybe now having those guys starting to come back, maybe that lights a fire under them, and they kind of play with a chip on their shoulder.
0: Speculation is what we do here. They're going to see, oh, Allen's back. Oh, He's making $18 a year. We have to Step up our game if we want to make that much.
1: We have to get our hair cut just like him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He is. I like his cut. He's, he's I pretty agree, fresh. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we kind of covered what we're expecting from uh, a lineup standpoint when Alan Crabb comes back against Denver and then also Karis LeVert, uh, who hopefully will be back for the Bulls game, which I believe is on Saturday. Is that correct, Marcus? I think it's Friday. Friday, so I'm not correct. <laughs> yes, that, yeah, okay, so it's a back-to-back. Or no, it's not a back-to-back. I'm, I'm thinking it's Wednesday right now, but it's not. You're all over the place, So, Josh. yeah, so Denver game on Wednesday, Bulls game on Friday. Hopefully, Lavert will be back in time for that game against the Bulls. Uh, we'll take a break here, and then coming back, we'll talk about what to expect from the Nets at the trade deadline, and we'll talk about some rumors that we're hearing across the league. Segment three on Locked on Nets. Marcus, the trade deadline is uh, is quickly coming upon us. Uh, the deadline will be February 7th. Uh, that's a Thursday. Uh, in the afternoon, I will be on my way driving to Vermont with my buddy, uh, Scott Pass. Shout out to wow. Scott. I believe it's his first mention on the podcast, uh, but I'll let him know. And he's a big Nets fan, so that's good. I only, I only associate myself... You should be
1: listening, yeah. I only
0: associate myself with Nets fans. Uh, so I'll be checking uh, vigorously on Twitter and running the Oxcord while Scott drives me to uh, to Vermont. But Marcus... You're not going to
1: drive at all? You, you got your license. I have my
0: license. I don't like driving. Uh, eh, maybe someday, but fair enough. I'll leave it to him. Uh, I don't want that liability. So, Marcus, what can we expect... Uh, on the from the trade deadline, from a Nets perspective, obviously Spencer Dinwiddie has uh, gotten that contract extension. He can't be traded. Caris or not about D'Angelo Russell, with his surge over the last couple months and being named an All Star, he seems like he's pretty entrenched. But could you see any moves being made on this for this Nets team?
1: Uh, it's difficult to say just because i think that they kind of should make a move i think we've talked about it where they have a weak spot at the four position and they kind of could use some offense there but i think that the the team is kind of overachieved slightly from where they thought they'd be and they are kind of in a place where they're getting guys back and so they could kind of posture as if like that's the move that we're making is like we're adding these guys back into the rotation so it's almost like a trade so i don't I don't expect the Nets to make a move, but uh, they talked about on the low post with Zach Lowe, which I feel like we mention almost every other pod at this point. But uh, Best
0: Nets podcast, yeah, or you know, best uh, NBA podcast.
1: It's a pretty good Nets podcast, too, when they when they yeah. go there. But uh, uh, Zach and Kevin Artovitz mentioned that the Nets should be looking at a guy like Aaron Gordon as like a really good fit on offense, and I agree with that. But it's just that it's hard to find a deal that works necessarily. They said that if Dinwiddie hadn't just signed the extension – you could maybe do him and Carroll and a pick for Aaron Gordon, and then that would kind of allow Russell and Lavert to be the main playmakers, and you'd have Gordon there uh, to kind of fill things out position wise and make it a little more balanced on the roster. But obviously, you can't do that because of the Dinwiddie extension. Then they said maybe Russell, but it's like you said, it's tough to trade a guy who is the team's first all star in five years and is not homegrown because he wasn't drafted there, but is kind of like that you because he's rehabilitated. Was, like, giving, yeah, yeah, he was given a shot here. So it's tough to make a move using either of those guys, but uh, I think Aaron Gordon would obviously fit very well with the Nets.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that kind of when we're looking at some of these four options that would be probably upgrades on the Nets rotation, whether it's uh, Anthony, Tony Tolliver, Jamichael Green, what what have you. Um, I think kind of looking at guys like Nikola Mirotic and Aaron Gordon, these are the guys that would be true upgrades and difference makers. And maybe the Nets don't want to, to... put some chips on the table for that because they're saying, hey, best case scenario, even if we get one of those guys, maybe we can can make a first-round series super competitive and, and have a big upset. But regardless, we're not going to get past the second round. So let's kind of uh, be more conservative now, try to continue to be a feel-good story, make the seven or eight seed. Um, but I think Aaron Gordon is interesting. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell has had a huge upgrade recently. He's been awesome. Spencer Dinwiddie is a, a very happy to have him long-term in Brooklyn. But I wouldn't be, a po- I love Karis Levert, but what do you think about some sort of deal where it's Karis Levert, Damari Carroll, and Jean and Musa for Aaron Gordon? Because Levert's someone, he has an injury history dating back to his Michigan days. Um, he's, he's an inconsistent shooter, so it's, it's tough to see how, I think, him, Dimwitty, and Russell can fit together well, uh, and it can be a really dynamic playmaking group, but also it's not like it's the cleanest fit of all time. Um, and saying that he's going to be extension eligible at the beginning of next year, so let's trade him in now for Aaron Gordon, who we know what his contract's going to be like, and I think in Kenny Atkinson's system, he's a guy that could take a leap to All Star level. Yeah, I think
1: obviously getting Gordon would be great. I think with Karras, it's tough just because he has he looked so good at the beginning of the season, and we thought he kind of had the highest ceiling of anyone on this Nets team. I think Russell has maybe uh, he's definitely reached higher than I thought he could. In being an all-star this year and the way he's played the last uh, month, month and a half, uh, but there is definitely a lot of overlap between him, Dinwiddie and uh, and Lavert, and so if you need to, it's like almost like what the Blazers have with Lillard and McCollum, where like those two guys are both great on their own, and then when you put them together, it kind of makes them both like ninety percent as good as they would mm-hmm. have been separate. Yeah. And so you're almost better relocating some of that talent to another position to kind of balance your roster a little more. I think I would definitely consider that if i was the nets and if i was the magic i would definitely consider that especially because they haven't really had a good guard since shelvin mac he was of course their <laughs> assist leader last year but uh besides him it's been pretty <laughs> it's been pretty empty for the magic in the backcourt so they could definitely use a guy like carouselvert
0: yeah i feel like orlando is, is low-key like a city that just gets ripped on because first the shelvin mac thing putting out as their leading assist guy when Such he i think he averaged like three, three and a half like,
1: you gotta have some kind of like self awareness. <laughs> yeah, I and then
0: also the draft board, which they really or the free like the the tw- hybrids. 20, yeah. yeah, the twenty, I guess, eighteen was it? Was it last year or was it twenty seventeen? Might have been twenty seventeen. Yeah, off season board. Um, so they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. And yeah, they're a team that really needs a guard because listen, Aaron Gordon uh, might be a more talented player than Karis Levert, and I think he's gonna might have a, a better long term career. But at the same time, if you keep Aaron Gordon, you're not gonna be able to maximize the talents of Mobamba, Jonathan Isaac, um, all the chem, the great Ken Birch, who I, who I actually really like as a, as a nice third center. Um, so maybe it makes sense to kind of try to optimize the fit on your team more, even if you're, from a pure talent standpoint, maybe having a slight downgrade. And I think Karras is a great player. Um, and I think that if the Nets were to keep him, I'm very excited about that. Uh, and and I think a trade would probably be more likely even offseason, because you need to see... How him, Dimwitty, and this new version of D'Lo all mesh together. Um, And also see how Levert comes back from injury, because I think any team isn't going to want to trade for him right now until he actually shows it on the court that he's the guy he was in a very small sample size at the start of this year.
1: Yeah, and I think even if that specific trade that you mentioned, which is kind of centered around Levert for Aaron Gordon, even if that doesn't happen, I think that these two teams have kind of complementary uh pieces to trade cuz like we said the the Nets have kind of a surplus of guards and the Magic have a surplus of big guys and like bigger wings. So I think that there's definitely even if it's not that exact trade you mentioned, I think that those two teams could work something out together if not now then in the offseason.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think uh Sean Marks can fleece the Orlando front office uh pretty easily. So would definitely, Orlando has a lot of interesting pieces, they just really don't know how to use them at all, uh, and, and they keep getting in their own way, so definitely uh, an interesting target for the Nets. Marcus, quickly, let's, I want to touch on something from that happened around the league. Uh, Chris Saps Porzingis, formerly of the New York Knicks, was traded to the Dallas Mavericks uh, on Friday, uh, or on Thursday, sorry. It all kind of happened pretty quickly with Knicks um, personnel leaking that... KP was unhappy about the direction of the team, and then a deal got um, done probably about 45 minutes to an hour later uh, to bring KP to Dallas to join Luka Doncic. The Knicks received Dennis Smith, a couple of first-round picks, one protected, one not, and then um, exchanged the terrible salary of Tim Hardaway and uh, Courtney Lee for the um, still terrible but also expiring salary of Wesley Matthews and DeAndre. Marcus from your perspective, what do you make of the trade and how does this kind of affect the Knicks Nets power dynamic in the city? Uh it makes it it's a,
1: I talked about this with Gavin, the former co-host of this podcast and the current Locked On Knicks host, where this is like a complete high ceiling, low basement trade, like this could work out and the Knicks could end up with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and Zion Williamson who they could either keep or flip in like a deal for Anthony Davis, or they could end up with like Tobias Harris and Demarcus Cousins and not really anything else of note and they could end up with like the fourth pick or something but yeah I think it's completely like a TBD at this point obviously uh I've talked about on the pod I am a Knicks fan so I was uh devastated I'll say when I saw the trade initially and then the more it sat with me it wasn't so much that I was happy about it it was more like all right let's wait and see and I think that's kind of like it's kind of like a boring answer but that's kind of what you have to do when so much of the return is based on what's going to happen this summer and what those draft picks turn into and, frankly, what Porzingis looks like when he comes back from the injury.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what what I was always cautioning Knicks fans on is that, say, listen, KP um, has had a great trajectory so far in his career, but he's so injury-prone that maybe cashing him out for a couple picks and Dennis Smith, who um, is, high, is a high upside guy, even though I don't necessarily think he'll get there, it's an interesting proposition. And you're cleaning out your cap sheet by getting rid of Tim Hardaway um, and and paying for that transgression that you did by signing to that ridiculous contract and saying, now, listen, we're we're the Knicks. We're probably going to get a top three pick. Maybe that will be Zion Williamson. If it's Zion, then things are going to come into play. But you're really banking on the draft lottery and a guy like Kevin Durant, who's proven to be emotional. uh, You don't really know what he's thinking uh, and, and relying on him to see what he's going to gonna do come this offseason, not to mention another guy who's a wild card in Kyrie Irving. So this could all come together brilliantly for the Knicks, or it could set them up for another uh, 10 years of just being absolutely dreadful. And it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be of, interesting to see what happens.
1: It's kind of the complete opposite of what the Nets have done strategy-wise, where for the Knicks, this is pretty much like we're putting it all in, we're making this one big swing. And then for the Nets, they're kind of content taking these like singles, these walks to kind of mm. build up slowly and the quote-unquote right way. And it's definitely paid off uh, in the short term for the Nets, but you wonder how high their ceiling is unless they can get a star. The Knicks are pretty much like we've gotten rid of the first, second, and third floor of this house, and we are either going to dig a tunnel into the basement or we're going to shoot out through the roof. And that was a probably a terrible analogy, but I started saying it and I didn't really know where to go, so yeah. here
0: we are. You you live and learn, Marcus. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe six months in, into the podcast, if you make that analogy. I'm going to scratch my head, but you're still in your learning stage, so it's okay. Uh, you're still in that rookie development roadie kurtz mode, if you I'm will. You want a cheap contract. Exactly. You're, you're cost controlled, and we'll talk about that cost split after the podcast. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it, it's a good analogy that you mentioned. The, the Nets kind of were in such a bad hole after that um, uh, KG and Pierce trade, and the, the cupboard was so barren that they had to take those singles, because singles to them, even walks to them. Getting on base by an error was a home run in their book. So a fielder's the, choice, yeah. I mean, and the Knicks. I mean, they they always have the cachet of of Madison Square Garden, which puts them in the mix of, of these types of things. Um, but I, you know, it, it's tough to see how it's going to work out, and they're just such a bad spot this year. I feel like Fizdale. Um, you know, when the nets were terrible, Kenny Atkinson was still getting praise throughout the league. I feel like Fizdale is kind of already setting some players off the wrong way, and I know he has good relationships with stars in the past. From when he was an assistant with Miami, but I just don't know if he is the right guy to really um, enhance the player development. And, and regardless, that if you, even if you get a couple stars, you still need the guys around the margins um, to to help you and, and to be cost-controlled pieces that can contribute. And that's why I think the Nets are so attractive because they've shown they can draft well and also develop young pieces um, into serviceable players uh, and even good starters in the case of Spencer Dinwiddie.
1: Yeah, I think the Knicks have not really any guys who are on like D'Angelo Russell or Spencer Spencer Dinwiddie's level right now, but they have guys who are like on that next tier down, guys Mm -hmm. like Damian Dotson, Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox. Those are all like gonna be at least like rotation players, I would think next season kind of regardless of what the team looks like so they do have some talent but it's like it's pretty much like all or nothing at this point for them
0: it is all or nothing and i think the it will remain to be seen how it works out and this summer should certainly be an interesting one for the knicks for the nets and for every other team in the national basketball association so we ran long here on uh on this segment we'll wrap it up by saying I uh, hope you guys please rate and review our podcast. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I know a lot of you are, but uh, there's still more of you out there. So I want to see every person who's downloading this podcast. Follow us on Twitter, and that will be my goal. Um, and f- you can follow Marcus individually at Marcus Bearhall and me at JMBass underscore. Uh, but for Marcus, I'm Josh, and until next time, we will speak to you. Bye.